0: Welcome to The Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello and welcome to show number 76 of the Hopcast Book Show.
1: It is and, and we're not a twosome today, we're a threesome.
0: We are a threesome. That Hello. sounds so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> welcome Lynn LaVersha as our threesome partner.
2: Hello, hob, hob people. <laughs> <Yeah>. The <Stop> hobnobs.
0: <laughs> that sounds wrong too. So we've started <laughs> off beautifully there, haven't we? We are in Delightful Southwold. We're overlooking the beautiful salt marshes that uh, span out of the back of your garden. It's just an amazing setting, isn't it? For those of you who don't know Southwold, it is on the tip of East Anglia in Suffolk. Not so far away from here is Alborough, fam- made famous by Benjamin Britten. Southwold in itself is a, beautiful georgian resort town with uh, oh, it's just a stunning place we
1: can see lots of cows
0: <laughs> i say georgian but a lot of the buildings you know victorian and georgian and then uh, not so far away is Sizewell b which is a nuclear power station but we'll, we'll gloss over that it is one of the most uh, evocative places and lynn has put us up for the weekend because it's been slaughter in south thank you so much for having us here
2: it's been lovely. I has hope we've been, been good health guests.
0: Oh, you've been very well behaved. <laughs> Up to a point. Apart from the fact I missed out that I don't consume gluten. And um, so we've had sourdough bread and I'm, now I'm paying for it. So that's entirely my fault and I, I suffer in reasonable silence. We've just that.
1: got a good journey home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this edition of the podcast, coming from Slaughter in Southwold, which is a, a two-day uh, literary festival for crime, has had some fantastic guests. And you're about to hear two of them. The wonderful Cara Hunter. And the equally wonderful William Shaw, two of the biggest names in UK crime writing here on the Hobcast. And in fact, because of that, we're going to gloss over the fact that it's been news this week because we haven't actually looked it up because we really want to get into the interviews and talk further to Lynn. So we, we won't bother with our usual news section. Have you got anything that that's you've spotted? I haven't, personally.
1: In the news? Mm. I don't know. People have bought books, people have sold books, and people have read books.
0: And probably people have moaned about books <laughs> and the process of publishing books.
1: Um, I guess Boris has probably done something.
0: He probably has, but we won't get into that. <laughs> Lynn, you were—you uh, made your first festival appearance today on the stage. The two of us um, having a natter in front of. Uh, an attendant audience, who were pretty pretty sharp for 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, weren't they?
2: Yeah, I had the bacon butty slot, and uh, it was uh, lovely, because uh, Charlotte, who organised it through Suffolk Libraries, is uh, a great friend um, in Southwold, and I said, yeah, any chance? And uh, somebody dropped out about two months ago, and she said, I've got a slot for you. And so it's my first. I hope it's not my last no, festival. No, it shouldn't be on that It basis. won't be the last uh, at all, I can promise
0: it. you. It went down a storm, didn't it? I yeah. mean, it really did go well.
2: I think it did. I had my friend over here interviewing me. I was going to do a solo slot, but I gave him my lesson plan last night. <laughs> yeah, and I, I
0: almost uh, stuck to it. I, yeah, almost, know, yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it flowed
1: really well to the extent I said, did you stick to the lesson plan? Because it just flowed. I,
0: I must admit, I kept looking, to, you know, whenever you, you, you were doing a reading or something, I'd quietly get my phone out where I'd photographed your lesson plan. Have <laughs> I covered everything? And I think we got about 90% of it across. Yeah,
2: yeah, which, we, did. yeah we did.
0: Which is, you know, no no small achievement. And you know, took questions at the end and all that. But I thought uh, your readings landed quite well. Mm. You know, I think they really did. And you know, people were really into those. And mm. then I think that's that was reflected in the number of books you signed at the end. So
2: and sold.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's even more <laughs> important. But uh, it's it's a Bijou Festival. But honestly, if you uh, assuming it goes ahead next year, you must come because. Mm. Southwold is such a wonderful place, and the intimacy of that venue, the Southwold Arts Centre, is great. Yes, I love it, it. Yeah, yeah.
2: And you get well, you know, organised lunch. We had um, fish and chips from the local shop, which were excellent. And uh, you know, it's a group of local people who come together and enjoy crime writing. I had lunch with a couple on a table who've been since the very first one.
1: Oh, um, that's lovely! Um, you know,
2: came every year until 2019. That was the last one before COVID. And there have been people there like Val McDermid. Um, we had William Shaw today, as you mm. said, and Cara Hunter and um, Louise Candlish. Had Mick, Heron Mick Heron's past. been yeah, there. Yeah. He was great. Uh, Mark Dawson. Um, lots and it lots is. of memes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's... It, it, you know, that's... And the fish
2: and
1: chips were really special, weren't yeah. they? And they yeah, were. We were. Even Am though I...
0: we had ours at sort of room temperature. <laughs> I met a man
1: who's never had ketchup. I think that might have been the man you had. I did lunch have lunch with him. He
2: was all right, actually.
1: <laughs>
0: he was lovely. He lovely by never by had ketchup. We talked a lot about football at the end there. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah. that, that's been another nice aspect of this. We like going to festivals simply so that we can mix with the potential audience. Mm. Because we'll be honest i mean Hobeck is still so new on the block that people aren't necessarily you know they, they would buy a penguin random house or whatever Quercus or, or, or whatever those main publishers but people buy into our story if we can get that across
1: but there was a lady who said to you something about i look for the cat logo who was that
0: oh d- really i didn't hear them did they say we that were to in me? the
1: queue we were in oh, the book okay. queue do you remember yeah.
0: Well, that's lovely. That's exactly why we've created the logo, and I we hope people to... do feel that way, because they know it's going to get be <laughs> quality. But, you know, it's a long haul, and you, you'll hear that from, from William Shaw when we, when we get to that interview, but it has been a, a, a delight. One of the great things about Southwold is that it has, right at the heart of it, a fantastic brewery, Adnums. <laughs> <laughs> All the pubs are Adnums. Uh, the smell, at certain times when it's malt, mm. you know, you can get a really fantastic, evocative smell right in the heart of uh the town and uh, it's become a i mean you're a shareholder so like you know i don't want to damage the brand for you but i mean it's a lot bigger operation in the last 10-15 years than it ever was it was quite a mm. small little regional brewer before well, now when we first
2: moved thing. here it was really just beer um and they did different ones for the season sort of lager beer in the summer and um, slightly darker in the winter but now they do gin and whiskey and vodka and, uh, you know, different sorts of gin. And you think, God, what are they going to go and do next? <laughs> uh, and, of course, they have this fantastic shop called uh, The Cellar and Kitchen. And it's a sort of shop where you walk in and you think, I didn't know I needed that.
0: Yeah, it is like <laughs> that. It is like that. Well, then South Wales shops are a bit like that, aren't mm, they? Mm, mm. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, as I found out, you, you struggle to find an electronic cable. But, mm. you boy, you can buy a, a you know, all sorts of knickknacks <laughs> <Yeah>. for, to <laughs> make your house cards. look better. Yeah, <laughs> but great birthday cards. And, um, you know, the food is, is brilliant around here. So this has been uh, Slaughter in Southwold, and uh, we've really enjoyed it. It was great to be on stage earlier. And uh, also great to catch up with two of the best authors in the country, best-selling authors for sure. Let's start with then um, uh, Cara Hunter, who... I honest, I didn't know a lot about before. I knew
1: the name and I recognised Mm. the covers, but I didn't know much about what she'd written.
0: Now, Cara's story is an interesting one because like so many of the authors that we have, and indeed many authors, she's had a a sort of portfolio career. At one point she was in the city, she was Mm. explaining. Yes. Then she was in PR and then a copywriter. And now a full-time author. Uh, But for her, the the, the key thing that happened to her was that she managed, or at least her publisher, who happens to be Penguin, I believe, uh, got her on uh, the Richard and Judy book club when it became... And she what, actually met them on the sofa. Which I find, yeah, you, ha- you actually personally interviewed, you're vetted by Richard and Judy. Mm. I'd find that, I mean, I, you know, I'd love to be in that position and try as I might, and yesterday I was, during the session, I was looking through, trying to find out how we could get a Hobeck author and one of our titles in front of them. <laughs> but the word, you know, and they don't, it's very opaque. So there's, there's smoke and mirrors here, and I dare say the traditional industry have that locked down. But I also hear that to, to sit in front of Richard and Judy is going to cost you five figures. Oh, to even have that, have that entry conversation.
1: I think we could just give them a mug each.
0: <laughs> yeah, And
2: I, a badge. And You've the got badge. these badges now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> what more could they possibly want? Exactly. I, I, if I were in that position, I'm the author in front of Richard and Judy trying to be vetted. Judy has one of those faces. It's very unfortunate. Well, that's not going to get you. No, I uh, know. But she, she she, has redefined frump.
1: it's not going to get Hobet Book in, in a Richard and Judy club.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to provoke them now to prove me wrong. Uh, but if you want to take a pun to one of our first-time authors, by all means do it, uh, Rich and Judy, and I'll take it all back. But, uh, no, she's, uh, you know, she, she I, I don't know, in repose. It's like the Queen. She doesn't smile. It's, it's, it's not a good look nowadays. I
1: thought you liked the Queen.
0: I'm a massive fan of the Queen. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I have seen... Look, she came to open our... Uh, our we are in digression mode. I'm so sorry. We we're trying to get to Cara Hunter. Uh, she opened the uh, BBC Studios in Salford. And came Judy? To open, no, the Queen. Oh, the Queen. No, yeah. no, no one as important as Judy. <laughs> um, and uh, the Queen comes in, and she's got that fixed sort of... You know, she was... Uh, in a hurry to get the thing done. She
1: probably needed a wee.
0: So she came into my office, literally, you know, because we are on the ground floor. The and
1: Queen she... came into your office?
0: Yes. Yes. Can, can I please get the story out?
1: Well, <laughs> I just can't believe the Queen walked into an office.
0: So she's wearing a, um, <laughs> a lemon uh, suit, um, sort of a wet thing. wet You know, her usual sort of uh, fitted coat thing, you know, hat ensemble in, in lemon. And um, she looked like she'd sucked one. As she walked around, she was deeply unengaged. And only when someone <laughs> who happened to be wearing their MBE on their tracksuit, no less, shouted three cheers for Her Majesty, that she actually smiled. Oh. And it is an electric smile when she unleashes it. But mm. she couldn't have. And the Duke arrived. He he got through his opening duties. He was opening the new music centre for uh, Salford University. Right and he arrived he, ahead of schedule to to catch up with her majesty and uh, he started having one of his free fall conversations with uh, us random people and 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 at this point he approaches me goes hey, what does you do uh, i said well i i'm uh, responsible for for uh, broadcasting sport to audiences around the world oh that I means you probably broadcast those bloody countries my wife drags me to. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, anyway, I digress. But we're getting to back to, to Cara. And I can't remember.
1: You'd how. make a great royal correspondence. You wore one of those lemon two-piece things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, honestly. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not known for my fashion sense, am I? Oops. Let's be honest. You're far more stylish than me.
1: You think? I just put together random stuff I got from charity shops, Yeah, mostly. but you carry it off, and I can't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've got a figure, and I haven't. Anyway, we get to, to Cara Hunter. So she, uh, she had to be interviewed by Richard and Judy before she got her first deal. She's had two, and that is what she credits with her massive success. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the portal you have to go through. And Judy, I'm so sorry for what I've said. I it's take it all late. back. It's way too late. But let's hear <laughs> from Cara Hunter. Rebecca, isn't this evocative, where we are at the moment? Sat in the uh, beautiful Southwold Arts Centre. It has a real interwar feel, I think. Possibly even earlier than that, I don't know.
1: Not only that, I have got sand between my toes.
0: I don't want to ask. (laughs) But we are joined and we're very, very honoured... To be joined by Cara Hunter. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us on it's the my podcast. Pleasure. Book show. It's my
3: pleasure. My um, pleasure.
0: We're here in the capacity to support one of our authors, who's appearing tomorrow. She's there. Actually. We <laughs> both of us felt well, having heard your speech and your talk just now. We just have to speak to you. Um, you want
1: <laughs> the staple gun, lady? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you see, it proves that we're really here. No, oh, we're really here. This. this our thousands of listeners are now going to be treated to the staple gun, <laughs> but it's all in a There's good a course. crime
4: novel in that. Yeah, there
0: is. This is all in the benefit of the Southwold <laughs> Arts mean, look, Festival.
1: Right, She's got that glint. Yeah. <laughs> are
0: you still Yes, we are. Yeah. Who, who, who are you imagining you're stapling at the moment when you're doing that? That's what I yeah. want to know. <laughs> Lynn, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, and... Um, Just my first question really When you come to an event like this What do you get from it Apart from obviously the book signings and whatever What what pleasure do you take From coming to an event like this
4: is actually meeting readers yeah. is the best part of this job. Um, there are lots of good parts of this job, which you can probably imagine, but the interaction with readers, um, whether online or, you know, on is social media or whatever, but actually meeting real people. And if someone comes up to you and has made all the effort to come here mm-hmm. and you know, wants their book signed or brought books that they've already read I to be signed. I did see somebody She's out of her bag. I know. And that's, I mean, what's not to like? I mean, it's the most extraordinary, extraordinary experience and 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 you always get this slightly different questions from i mean obviously sometimes you, you, you do get ones you've had before clearly because but I bet are,
1: you haven't had the font question more than once no that's the only one i've <laughs> had once at that
4: time yeah just the once on, on what font is the book in but um but i mean there are obviously some questions you get a lot but there is something that comes out of left field and it just gets you starting to think and and some someone will ask a question and, and you think oh, hang on a minute yeah I could, yeah. and then it's just it's really interesting just to see people's take on what you've written and like I say there's nothing nicer in the whole world than meeting people who've read your books and who want to tell you that they like them
0: yeah and, and it's one of those solitary professions isn't it so in a sense uh, it is great to have eye to eye contact to see I mean just I, over, I was listening to one or two of the conversations you were having people having the books you know talking about in hushed tones about the endings of you know, Where did you get the idea from? I don't want to give it away because everyone's buying your book. And yeah,
1: yeah, you been, got to was, Be careful what you that, say. Was, that
0: was just a marvelous moment. It, it was amazing, <laughs> wasn't it? She yeah. was
4: whispering, "I can't say it because
0: he's still reading it." <laughs> it <was> absolutely, <laughs> marvelous,
4: absolutely marvelous. I loved it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And your journey to to this point where your books. Are extremely popular. You mentioned you've got twenty-seven countries have taken them. Twenty-seven? now, yeah.
1: Can you name them? Not only you two, <laughs> well, well, I just a, want to know if you can like
4: a mastermind.
0: <laughs> Questions. Uh, is there a Swahili version yet? No, <laughs> no. <okay. laughs>
4: Japanese? Oh uh, no, I don't think so. Oh. Chinese, yes, and Taiwanese, yes, um, and all sorts of other things. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that that must be mind-blowing when you think you know when you first sat down to write mm. this particular mm-hmm. set of books mm-hmm. or. In fact, that first one, because it really wasn't a series in your mind at that stage, was it? Well, how it? could
4: it be? I mean, yeah. you, you've got to have a pretty big ego to think, right, well, I'm sitting down here. I'm going to get not only get this published, I'm going to turn it into a series. Some I mean, people do. Well, some people do. I know somebody who planned like 10 book series before they even started. I thought, oh, my goodness, uh, that is that is something. But I suppose you can do it in, in some genres because if you're doing it like a fantasy thing or something, it, perhaps you need to know where it's all going. But I just thought this is a one-off crime story um so i had no idea that this detective that i created was suddenly going to have to you know carry an entire series and possibly even a tv series Mm. i mean just no idea at all so um it was a great question from charlotte about what would you have done differently if you would known it was be a series i've never had that question before it's a corker of a question it is a great one um and actually pure luck i wouldn't change very much uh, but that's totally luck. I'm totally honest about that. I mean, I could have easily done something in that first book that made it really hard to carry on. Mm. Though there's a, quite a fun story here that you know for, for your for your podcast that. When I started writing that book, I, I did know I thought I had quite a good twist, which, again, we're not going to do no. about. Um, but I thought, well wow, there's so much great crime out there, you know, at the moment. How do you stand out in this market? Absolutely. So hard. So I wrote the first draft, the one that actually was seen by publishers. I wrote the first draft where all of the first-person stuff, you didn't know the gender ah. of what became Adam. Mm. wasn't called that then, of course. He was called she or he. was called Chris. Oh, it could have been Uh either then. Exactly. And they still had a partner called Alex. But again... again, It could have been either. Again, it (laughs) could either have been two guys, two girls, a man and a woman, or a woman and a man. So I wrote the entire thing that way, which was so darn difficult because you couldn't have any darn po- pronouns anywhere um, all of the team had to refer to them as boss all the time because yeah, it couldn't yeah. be sir or yeah, yeah. anything yeah. like that and and I actually did manage it it was like a almost like a sort of a crossword puzzle to do um and then um it was fascinating because when the publishers saw it they started saying things like we really love this female central character and I'm saying I don't it's a female necessarily and they say what do you mean what do you mean and it was, it's interesting because people have made assumptions yes, about, about yeah. the character where there's actually no grammatical justification for it but they were reading it in a certain way um, now the reason it didn't carry on that way is back to the question about what would you do differently my, my editor said well you've managed to put it off one but you'll never manage to put it off again you know the second book and you just can't you're going to have to make a decision is this a man or a woman and yeah. stick with it I don't care which way you go So he became Adam. But I think there's actually a really nice sort of hangover from that, which is that Adam started out as being a character who could have been a woman... And therefore, he's got quite an intuitive side. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's quite relatable. That he's, right. He's, well, he appeals he was,
0: to... Well, yeah. like
1: you
4: said in the yeah. in the hall, that somebody said, I want to marry an Adam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think that's where it comes from, because he was written that way to start yeah. with. And and so there's still, like, if you like, the fossilised remains of that in the book. Um, and that's a good thing. And that's, a piece, again, a piece of luck on my part.
0: But it's, I mean, it was an interesting challenge you gave yourself with that first, first draft. Is that I something know. you... you, you to does that spur you on if you set yourself a little challenge? You know, I'm going to take yeah. this element out because, you, for instance, you were describing how Adam is an atypical fictional yeah. cop in the sense that he doesn't have a drink problem, of divorce. He's
1: quite a normal bloke. <laughs> it's just words. a bloke. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's just a
0: bloke. Which you know, uh, every craft book you now read says you've got to give them a half a dozen things that they're working against. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well as the case, but you've not gone that route.
4: Well, the only thing he has, um, which again was, which was very much dictated by that first book and the story of the first mm. book, the missing child. The only thing that Adam has in his past, or that he's working with, mm. is the fact that he's lost his son um, uh-huh. through no fault of his own, um, and that's happened just only a few months before. So it's raw. So it's raw. Yeah. Um, and the reason I did that to him, which was a bit mean of me, but I did that because I wanted him to be bringing an emotional uh, intensity mm. yeah. to this missing child case. Ah, uh, because um, it's to the yeah. feeling. Yeah. And we, don't, we know very early on in the book that the child is not with us anymore, but we don't know what happened until the very end. Um, exactly how did this, this happen, that he's lost his child. And that then has a, again... Uh, lucky for me because I just happen to do it that way that as the series progresses the way that he and his wife are dealing with that loss and yeah. not always dealing with it in compatible ways um, is, is actually gives quite a lot of this emotional heft, mm, heft mm, of, of gives story. Gives you that thread that you can take yeah. through
0: the different books Yeah, exactly. But in, in, now you're in, involved in writing a series like this is there a danger that you know, some people say oh I don't want to turn into a soap opera where the, you know the fate of the cat or the dog or whatever suddenly becomes a major thing, you know. Is that something that you, you're, you're concerned about when you're writing? Or?
4: Not really. I mean, I know people do get invested in characters over yeah. time and, and um, I think you have to respect your characters. So mm. I would never do anything... I wouldn't do anything in a book full stop, but I certainly wouldn't do anything to a character uh, that had had a long life mm. through several books just for the sake of the shock value. Mm. So you're not
1: going to do a Game of
4: Thrones then? No, no, well, no not, no, not just for, just for the sake of, you <laughs> know, yeah, yeah. just to sort of get a bit of a, you know. Um, no, I, I would always try to, if, if something happens to a character it should be something that develops out of who they are. And even if it's something that comes out of nowhere like bad health or, or a yeah. problem like that then it has to be projected on the page in a way that's consistent with what we know of that character so it's, it shouldn't it should only be real life and you know shit happens sometimes yeah, yeah, it? no,
0: it's true yeah i'm intrigued you're a, an avowed plotter
4: i am not not a pantser no, it, i think that's quite rare is not it most well, people i would
0: say that you know if we're looking at our own roster of 22 authors
4: the, most of them are 19 pantsers.
0: would be i don't know we're looking at one now um plotter or pantser Oh, you're oh, a plotter? I okay. didn't
4: know that. Most of the people I know are.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't you're come an outlier with within the Hobeck community, very much so. So, I, it's I mean, it's two-thirds a, a third, isn't it? Yeah, I would think so. A third yeah.
1: plotters and two-thirds pantsers.
0: And I think that, you yeah. know, so in terms of... This is a very intimate question in terms of the way your Gosh brain... not
1: what's coming? <laughs> no, no, no.
0: In terms of the way your brain works, mm-hmm. is that, you know, through life and academia and all the things that you've done working mm-hmm. in the city... Uh, has that always been your approach to be methodical, and you've yeah. taken it into your fiction?
4: Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely me. I, I I'm not a seat of the pants person in any way. And um, I mean, that, yes, spontaneity is a lovely thing. In, in, mm. Within certain parameters,
0: yeah, okay.
4: <laughs> So I wouldn't. I would sort of literally control hold my, hold myself over the uh, edge yeah. of I, I would always like to know I've got a parachute. Yeah,
0: yeah you love spontaneity as long as you can control it. Is
4: that I don't want to sound like I'm overcontrolled, but but um, <laughs> no. you, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think yeah. if you, I suppose partly because um, to sort of slightly flip the answer, I'm. i like to think I'm quite professional about what I do, and in my own mind, being professional means being prepared. And yeah. and and knowing, you know, and also because I was a copywriter for so long, yeah, um, that gives you so much discipline about you. You've made a promise; you have to get this piece of work into mm. this person by this date uh, to this quality, mm. and you can't afford to sit around and having writer's block. You just got a darn well get on yeah, with it because it it's you a do. job. Yeah, exactly. it's a job like it's any a, other job. It's a job, and I see that what I do now as a job, and. Um, and i i've always worked better if i've i've got you know proper planning done i was always a person with massive sort of revision timetables (laughs) when i was a kid and that sort of stuff and (laughs) it is a bit like a security blanket you've got something down you know to hang your hat on and i just i just learned about myself very early on that that actually i I feel better about life if i've got a degree of understanding about what i'm doing next
0: (laughs) yeah okay
1: do you get 3am ideas though
4: Sometimes, but and I can't get back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So I try and avoid those because actually they play havoc with your sleep.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's, you know, that doesn't fit into the schedule. So uh-huh. uh, we,
4: We've
1: had long conversations at 3 o'clock in the morning about our business, haven't we? Yeah, oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> you know, we've come up with some crazy stuff. that we, you know, This is the, what we're going to do to promote X and Y. And uh, I'm lying uh,
1: there thinking, I've got to get the children to school in three hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we're out of cat food. <laughs> right. uh, it's, uh, I had a couple of questions I was going to ask within the general audience, but now I've got an opportunity, we're face-to-face with you. Um, the, the question I was going to ask was about editing. Mm-hmm. And this is the, if there's one flashpoint of being a publisher, working with authors, it is that point when the editor sends their notes through. Mm -hmm. And there's this, tends to be, and I'm going to put the three quarters, quarter barrier down on, three quarters of our authors will go humph. (laughs) (laughs) Initially, because there's so much feedback. What's your relationship like with your editor or editing?
4: But it tends to only be... I mean, I tend to get about two sides of A4, that's all, um, because and it'll start with, you know, if there are big issues, then mm. they come first, and then there's little bits like, is oh, yeah, this scene in the right place or whatever. Um I think in general, it's a bit like going to the dentist, having I mean, edited it's done. You know it has to happen. You know it's good for you the long term, but you bloody hate it while it's going on. Um, and you think, why am I paying to sit here and have people poke things in my mouth? And it's a bit like that with the editing process. But, but my books have never been uh, anything other than improved by that process. It's just, it just isn't very nice because we all want to be told our stuff is fantastic and and no one likes to be told there's more work for you to do no. so how could you not be a bit sort of well, you know when you get when you get your feedback <laughs> yeah. um but most of the time i mean i learned from being working in business for years and years and years the first thing you always say is something positive get them you know get emotionally in of, in not in defense mode and then start sort of just start you know discussing some of these issues so i think as long as you know you start out with something positive then mm.
1: that's how i deal and, with you
3: it is, exactly. <laughs>
1: well, how that's
4: you how you, how women have dealt with blokes since time immemorial.
1: Yeah, you're so. so good at washing up. <laughs> <but>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, the, in reverse, it's I really admire the fact you've tried to put everything in the dishwasher.
4: <laughs> well, you know I've got a running joke in my books about dishwashers. Really, have you? Oh, this is hilarious. You know, you know, you know, there's something I didn't know until quite recently that there's, you know, if somebody, either a writer or a screenwriter, puts something in, in a in a screenplay or a or a book mm. that's designed for one reader and one reader alone, it's like a private joke. It's called a wink. I didn't know ah, that. I didn't ah. know that. I didn't know that. But I put this thing in in the first book with um, Adam and Alex and how. Um, Adam says that Alex is going mad all the time because he's always unstacking the dishwasher the way she's done it and putting it all back in again the way he wants it to. This was a private joke between me and my husband. Mm. I have lost count of the number of women who've now come up to me and said, oh my god, my husband's the same as that. <laughs> so it's obviously just like barbecues. Blokes cannot stop themselves, can they? When <laughs> no, you see can't. a dishwasher and they have to unstack it and yeah. stack it again. Absolutely. And he was it's genetic. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there you There's yeah. so, I, I, something I've learned through writing uh, these books.
0: Whatever the Neanderthal Version of that was that's yeah. come through our DNA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's, it's, you know,
4: it's, it's raw flame meat, yeah. and it's and it's dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's, that's that's very, very, very true. Yet
4: he doesn't ever unload it. <laughs> oh well, mine does. So mine's a bit better trained.
0: Uh, the other question was, following <laughs> off from from, from dishwasher uh, editing, is when you approach a new book, um, do you have an aspiration on what area of the craft? you want to make an improvement on are you making your incremental gains each time do you think
4: uh, not yeah. as consciously as an area in particular i mean obviously i'm always trying to raise the bar yeah um the last thing you ever want to hear is oh it was all right but it wasn't quite as good as the last one oh my mm. god that's mm-hmm. the worst thing you ever want to hear so I'm always trying to push myself to do something better. I, what I do try and do each time, is just as a sort of a little gimmicky joke, um, is always have a new type of document in there. Yes. So, you know, you know whether it's a, a map or a body map or a you know, a podcast was a new one for, for The Whole Truth and Netflix documentary for, for this one coming out soon. So it's always something new that's of a documentary nature. Mm. As, as I say, people seem to really love them and I love doing them and it, it sort of really breaks up the rhythm of the book in a really good way i think so it keeps it sort of pasty, and and there's always something different about to happen
0: that's quite challenging isn't it because i mean you know i'm a former journalist and i sometimes see people trying to write newspaper copy Mm. as a way of Mm -hmm. pushing the story along dropping three or four facts in Mm -hmm. or they'll do in my case because i was a broadcaster they'll try and do broadcast copy Mm -hmm. and of course it's nothing like you would do and then also you cannot my bugbear at the moment is one or two of our authors have been uh, dropping in rumor in the so the local BBC station is saying so and so and, and rumor suggests that such and such has been arrested. So you, you never know. Say oh, that no, in the no. BBC. case. I mean, no. there's no way. BBC doesn't do that. No, but that must be the same challenge you're facing every time you're mm. trying to do something in a new format. It's yeah, and perfecting I'm, that.
4: One thing I think I'm quite good at is ventriloquism. Mm. So I'm actually quite good at faking it. Um, yeah. So. I, and I do a lot of research. I mean, I, I read a lot of. If I'm trying to to fake a news item, I'll read loads and loads. And because I'm I used to do copy editing as well myself, mm. I I can see where the styles come from and what they're doing yeah. and not doing. Um, so I can I can usually fake it reasonably well. Um, and I just enjoy doing that. It's, mm. just, it's just one of you know one of my geeky things that I like doing. So <laughs> so yeah. But I often read other writers who do something similar and i read it and i think it's not Just quite right you know, yeah
0: it's not <laughs> I, get, right. I know what
4: you're trying to do but it's you haven't quite got mm. that um, it's so tempting to do it uh, but it's so easy to see oh, where very it, easy to get it's wrong. not yeah. it's not working yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. and in terms of that discipline that you uh, spoke of in copywriting and it's the same when you're writing copy for for broadcast deadlines you know top of the hour got five minutes to get the story mm. down mm-hmm. has that helped the speed at which you write, or do you need? Because I mean, obviously, yeah. you've got this thirty-page synopsis for each mm-hmm. book. And but
1: you do have a cat; that gets in the way.
0: Yes,
4: yeah, she's um, got her own agenda. <laughs> <laughs> There's are surprise. Yeah,
0: we we know that. Um, <laughs> is does it, that does that help? Because I, I have found when I get into the flow, mm. I'm you know my word count is can be prodigious if I actually sit down and do the writing. That's the, mm. my issue. But what about you?
4: I think it does help you just. Uh, understand that you can, as, as, as it were, sorry, start again, as it were, write your way through a, a block. So I always regard it as a sort of like a snowplow approach where, you know, you get forward and you think, oh, well, it's not quite working. And then you say, OK, so you reverse and then you get a slightly different angle and have another go. Yeah. Don't stop. As, you know, don't stop. Walk away. Yeah. But keep having a go. And even if you write something that's actually pretty crappy, just get through that bit and come out the other side. and You can always come back later. You'll mm. have to come back later. Oh, yeah. Everyone does. Yeah. Well, several drafts, so um, I think the the copywriting helped with that because I mean, I, you don't have the luxury of just sitting around because you like I say, you made a promise, you made a commitment you're being paid, you've got to get, get on with it, and that's the thing that I learned most I think from from the copy
0: copywriting mm.
4: experience that you just have to take it as a professional job and um, find a way through:
0: yeah, absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
1: looking at me I
0: just thought I'd look at you. <laughs> <laughs> As
1: my grandma would say, a cat can look at a king. No,
0: oh. <laughs> did she? Did she really say that? Yeah. Okay, so I've not heard that one before.
1: Uh, now, that's a rarity. Yeah, that is a you rarity. Said, um, what they're called? Not anecdotes. What they're called? Phrases.
0: Oh, <laughs> aphorisms and things like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's always coming out with these aphorisms. And yes. I've never heard of them. Oh, no, right. Said, but that's really famous. Everybody says well, it.
0: Well, here was an example. So the other day I was saying that the. I you know we were talking I was talking to we were in Devon last week and seeing an old friend of mine from university and we were talking about the problems of managing people of a certain generation the, mm-hmm. millen- the millennials mm-hmm. from so here I'm sitting from a perspective of being what a 50 year old manager at the BBC trying to manage somebody who's like 25 mm-hmm. to 35 and how one of the staff that gave me particular problems was always swinging the lead.
1: Well, that's it. She hadn't heard of it either. Your friend hadn't
4: heard of it. No,
0: swinging
1: well, the
4: lead. Have I don't
0: you think even know. You know what the origins are. I
4: thought it was swinging the leg because I thought it was naval originally.
0: Ah, maybe, maybe.
4: Because it, it was when they, you had to. They would go up and down the the, um like the the bunk beds in the in the ships ah. and say, "Are ah. you all right? Are yeah, you all yeah, right?" Yeah, yeah, Could be. And if you are swinging you, it, the leg, you put your leg out. Yeah. I think that's, I think. I, don't, I don't may have got me. this wrong, so no, I okay. think We're going to have to Google this. After. I think you are, yeah, because I might be wrong too. <laughs> but that's, that's always my understanding of where it come, comes I'm from. I'm going to come
0: over really blokey and really, really hope I got that right. I
4: know. <laughs> He's not- you're going to have to keep it in the, in the podcast if you're wrong. Well, that's true. We shall, we shall back,
0: back announce this when we put this together for yeah. Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> true enough, true enough. In terms of, um, you know, the direction of your next books and career what 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 are, what are your plans you talked about standalone
4: standalone is being written is um yeah. sort of almost finished the first draft so that's good um and hopefully as we were talking about in the in the talk um the thing that i would really love to happen is tv which hmm. you know we're some degree down the process now nothing is Guaranteed. Yep. Well, you know better than anyone yeah,
0: absolutely. that it's
4: not over till it's over when it comes mm, to TV contracts. Um, but you know, we, we've got to script development, and that's that's quite a long way down. Yeah, uh, no,
0: that, that's that's a significant way. Yeah. yeah,
4: I think so. And I'm very very, very excited, and but not complacent. No, um, and it would it would be a dream come true to see it on TV. Uh, you,
0: you mentioned that you'd love Richard Armitage to play. It, I and, would. And oh, if you, know, you out the fu- there,
1: Richard? You know, he, he had to Google Richard Armitage. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I oh, you knew did it, for me, didn't you? Because I said, "Oh, who's he?" And he showed me a photo
4: and oh, he's quite handsome. <laughs> yes, that, that tends to be the reaction, yeah. Yeah,
0: but you see, I, I have a personal um, enmity towards Richard Armitage. Why?
4: Because he's handsome?
0: No, I mean, you know, that, that aside, you know, he's dark and handsome and he was in The Hobbit and he's probably a millionaire and he's doing very well for himself and he was in Spooks. One he of was my in favorites. Spooks, yeah. But the problem is that he replaced me on a narration project. I oh, was dear. lined up to do some books and the uh, author sheepishly approached me and goes, um... W.F. Howe's big production outfit have decided they're going to go with Richard Armitage and not you uh, for these. So if you don't mind, we'll pay you 400 quid to go away and never mention it again. Sort of non-disclosure I mean, You've agreement. been
1: mentioning it ever <laughs> since. I, yeah. gonna say, I hope it wasn't a non-disclosure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just so, so in a wrestling style... Armitage, you got in my way. I'm coming for you. You, know? <laughs> you see this chair, it's going I'm over. I'm sure your head. he's
1: quivering.
0: To be honest, he's probably had he's loads, and loads of com- sure, yeah. combat training in spooks, so you yeah, know, something, yeah. I would
4: I wouldn't do that if I were really- Yeah, he's you know he's, w-
0: <laughs> w- you know he's waved swords around and fought yeah. orcs. So yeah, 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 it's probably not going to work out my in my favour. The only thing I've got in my favour is body weight, so I'll, I'll use Ooh. that. <laughs> um, I'd pay
1: to see this. <laughs>
0: Before, before we go we got two things that we've got to do. We didn't get the chance to warn you. First of all, there is the toughest question in British podcasting coming now. your way, which is Rebecca's <laughs> random question. We're coming to that in a it's, minute.
1: It could be about anything, but don't worry, they're not scary. Okay.
0: But before we go, because I know Rebecca has great kinship with you in the sense of Oxford Connections.
1: Yes, I lived there for, well, ah, yes. for about 15 years wow. and lived in Charlbury. Yeah, outside, so. which is lovely. Yeah. Oh, I loved living there. Mm. It, was, it was like a... A
4: chocolate box lifestyle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cotswolds are beautiful, aren't they?
0: But yeah, the but thing about... you know, We went and did a programme there on the way. We were on our way home from somewhere. I can't quite remember. We went to Oxford, didn't we? Yeah,
1: we were on route from yeah, somewhere. Yeah, we stood
0: outside the, the Bodleian. And uh, we're talking about the fact that, you know, 22 of our authors have got books in the Bodleian, which is just bizarre, yeah. isn't it, with the whole copyright yeah. thing?
4: Yeah, every single one's in there.
0: But it's one of those places. Because I'm from Cambridge, so, again... You
4: rival know, <laughs> the other
0: place the other <laughs> place uh and it doesn't really have nearly the literary you know certainly in the crime field apart from grantchester mm-hmm. you know there's one or two other i mean there I, are a few yeah. there are a few but nothing like oxford's mm. oh, impact yeah. on some reason yeah i i thought it was interesting that you, you've chosen where you can to avoid using the university as mm-hmm. the as mm-hmm. the, the focus of your books
4: yeah definitely
0: and that's again you know much like you were saying about, you know, not having pronouns in your first manuscript, <laughs> you're setting yourself an extra challenge there, aren't you? In terms of, you know, do you set things in Blackbird Lees or...? or yeah, we sometimes. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, actually I have.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I like
0: that
1: because I yeah. lived in Oxford and yeah, I didn't have that much to do with the university when I was there. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's much a, bigger it, than the It's university. a functioning town. Yeah. It's got a
4: big, you know, obviously it's got the big car plant. It's yep. got a very long industrial history. Um, I mean, I, yes, I mean, I do because the whole truth was set in, in a college. So if, if I find something useful and interesting to do that that is best and easiest done in use, using a, a, a you know a college connection then I'll do it I have no problem mm. with doing it. I'm not trying to avoid it but um I think as i said before, I mean, the, the, Dexter, the Dexter books do it so well, mm. and yes. I, and I, I'm not really interested in sort of professional jealousies between dons. Those aren't the <laughs> sorts of crimes I'm interested. I'm interested in dysfunctional families and things like that. So that's not really a university thing. Um, so it's just, it just sort of sits there in the backs of everyone's minds, including me. So it's 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 perfect because it means it's a setting everyone can imagine. We all know what it looks like, mm. but I don't have to describe it because of that, um, and we know it's there. But I just you know, it's. it's the elephant that i don't need to mention in the room
0: i, I, I for, for me every time i go to oxford it's one of those places which has an incredible energy to itself mm. you know that sort mm-hmm. of you cannot help but be inspired yeah Wherever you are in Oxford, I don't know what it is, but the the lay lines it's full of clever people. Well, I think there's an element of that. There's a lot of yeah, well,
4: like all university towns, it's, it's got that. It's got that buzz of young people and um, yeah. people who come to the town don't stay long, and go again. So mm. it's got a lot of transient it people. Yeah. So it, it, they they all like that. All university towns have a degree of
0: that. But I think Oxford, you know, it's one of those things where I just uh, literally come away. F- Feeling uplifted mm. and that things are possible. Yeah, you, you well, know, I, I
4: think that's a lovely thing to say about any town. And then he returns <laughs> to Staffordshire.
0: <laughs> I come back to Staffordshire and I think of the cultural wasteland upon which we live. I
1: know, and you're so harsh about Staffordshire. I know, it I know. I'm going to get burned out offer. by the locals.
0: It's going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, anyway, it is time, I'm sorry, to, to face you this, car with the, the random question the random of death. I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure we had many plans, but now they're over.
4: Yes, quite. <laughs> come on, gonna, come on, hit, hit me with well, this. I'm going to the build. Build He, does, up he does a build up.
0: this is Okay, Richard, listen to this. Can you do Rebecca's random question?
1: Okay, we're in Southwold, which is by the sea and has a beach. Which is your favourite beach in the whole world?
4: one in the grenadines where i got the idea for close to home
1: ah. mm-hmm. and do you like to paddle
4: i paddle up i don't swim last time i swam in the sea i got bitten by a jellyfish and i thought the universe was trying to tell me something so i paddled <laughs> but i do
0: not swim <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like smoking without inhaling isn't it almost <laughs>
4: <laughs> and i like the water on my feet but yeah. i'm a bit scared of that now about going in every
1: time we're near the sea you, you're quite good about taking me to the sea. I will, yes. And he'll sit at the top because he's not interested in paddling at all. No. And he'll sit and look at his phone for half an hour while I go and have a paddle. I'm an
0: old crump when it comes to paddling. Oh, <laughs> but never mind. Oh. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing. It's spending been a delight. Thank a, you. An unexpected thank you.
4: delight. It's a delight, nonetheless. Yes,
0: I'm sorry we do Oh, we, that's we, fine. We, uh, I loved it. Gorilla podcasting in its <laughs> rawest form. With Rebecca's <laughs> one writers. So thank you. We
4: do all the time. Jumping out <laughs> of a
1: bush with a microphone in your hand. You, wait you the, will come on our
0: <laughs> you wait till Rebecca gets to William Shaw tomorrow. I mean, he's going to be in big Ooh, trouble.
1: Oh, I've got to think of a random question for yeah, him too. I, I, yeah, I find I get... a really
4: hard one for him.
0: On. Yeah, a few, a few drinks tonight. You'll be coming up with something really <laughs> well, esoteric.
4: I did. I thought it was delightful to do it. So thank you both. Very oh much. well, it's our
0: pleasure. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much. You. Well, she dealt with the, the random question with uh, mentioning a place where I'm sure we'll never afford to be able to go.
1: I don't think anyone the has. Grenadines. not... Anyone who's not dealt with a random question, they all deal with it perfectly. Yeah, they, I think actually they... They, I think they need to be more challenging, don't
0: they? Secretly quite like them. give uh, yeah, it the
1: fear on their face when yeah. you mention the random question.
0: <laughs> it feels like we're celebrating the Jubilee a little too late because we're going to talk about the Queen again. You spent a day with the Queen, Lynn.
2: Well, half a day for the Queen, let's okay. not exaggerate. We, um, when I was uh, in the college, I wrote the um, submission for the Queen's Anniversary Award, which was for FE and Sixth Form Colleges. And I wrote about buckyballs, which were an allotrope of carbon. Now, as an English person, I, I really didn't know what this was. And my job...
0: That's a stretch.
2: Yeah, was to write this thing <laughs> about the research that the start, science A-level students had done for every man. And the Queen, I mean, I was somebody who wouldn't stand up for the national anthem in my school and got really told yeah. off this. like it. me, yeah, yeah. I do. But actually, that day at the palace, seeing her and the Duke and Princess Anne and one, somebody else... Uh, they work so hard and we took 10 students uh, chair of governors and they all stood around a table and she spoke to every single person and made it sound interesting and she says "Asked me like you what 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 did you do and i told her that i'd written this very complicated science piece for people who could understand it and she said what, for an idiot like me?
3: <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, even for us. Um, but, yes, she, I mean, they were, they were so good and the students just melted. I bet, I bet they did, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and they made each of them feel so important. And I thought, golly, if they can do that for three hours, which is what they took,
0: yeah.
2: you know, they have earned their money today.
1: Well, yeah. I haven't had an encounter with the Queen, but the Queen Mother and Prince Charles, when I was about five years old, Drove past at normal speed in a car, and we all we were given a little flag, or we made our flags, I think, and we all stood in a line. And it was like, Ew! oh, that was it,
0: yeah, oh. yeah. Well, you know, the Queen Mum probably needed to yeah. uh, take a senior break, possibly. So, somewhere know. sunny, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway. Yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, I've got a good few stories about the Queen Mother. Uh, anyway, picked up when I went to the Palace. But we've, I think we've covered those before. Uh, so let's get to our second guest of this week, or third technically, I suppose, uh, is William Shaw. Now, um, William is, uh, uh, you know, judging by his uh, talk this morning, he was solo, always impressive, incredibly inclusive in, as well. I mean, he was mm-hmm. really adept at throwing out little questions to the audience to keep them... You know, involved.
3: It
1: felt like he was just chatting to us. Yeah, it was
0: really, really... Yeah. He was very relaxed sitting in his deck chair. That's the other thing we wanted to mention, that we were actually sat in deck chairs, which was never easy to do yeah. uh, on a stage. But um, yeah, he was very relaxed. But what I thought what was so wonderful about it is that, in fact, people came out and said, but he didn't talk about his books. I don't know what I'm supposed to be buying here. But the point is that he takes a much more holistic approach. He's not there just to flog a few copies. It was... You know he's obviously a great thinker about the future of the industry and about the reality of the industry, and I thought that's what I took from it really, as you'll hear in this interview you know he's just you know what there's no b s here he tells it as it is as yeah. from his own experience so.
1: but he he did actually talk about his book, so i you know that's not quite true. he just did it in a in such a chatty way, mm, yeah. Because he did. He talked about the different projects and the different ideas he had.
0: And uh, Maybe I was away for that He
2: bit. did the trawler men and he did the bird watcher. Yeah, and He okay. did the cupid right. I was
0: definitely... Yeah. Oh, yes, I was, but you're, I was, you're right I though, was having, having queen-mother moment. It wasn't that
1: he really just said, and then I did this and then I did this and then I did this. It was, well, I had this experience. I was on a boat and...
0: Okay, um, I answered, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, but, you know, that's... I think it's always refreshing because it, it would be very interesting... It, it, Uh, easy I think for a lot of authors and sometimes we've found this uh, to come the big I am I mean he's a big he's big noise and Mm -hmm. you know he's up for Mm -hmm. a dagger and he uh, hello
1: Bertie
0: well established now Bertie is the other star of the show hello Bertie (laughs) (laughs) Bertie well you describe uh, Bertie's a, a pedigree breed he's a Labrador
2: a rescued dog at eight months who's so badly behaved it wasn't true He's still quite badly behaved but he's now middle-aged.
0: Yeah, he's Hello, got a certain that, but he's Hello. what a handsome chap. Yeah,
2: yellow lab sort of redy labrador thing.
0: Yeah, i like call caramel him caramel sort of, colours? Well, I call him yeah. creme brulee colours. Yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so uh, he's he's yeah, he's beautiful and uh, he's
2: very tall and has a very long nose.
0: He does. He mm. does. Yeah, well that's Just like into me. my, into my mm-hmm. face last yesterday morning, which was always a thrill. Hello Bertie. I'm afraid we're not able to play right now. So, um yeah, William Shaw. Um Talking about, you know, his his books are extremely well written. He's based in Brighton. Uh, one of his series is based, as we're about to discuss, in Dungeness. And if you don't know uh, what that's like, I mean, as he mentions, it is Europe's biggest shingle spit in in uh, in, in the whole of Europe, and it's where Derek Jarman uh, lived and made many of his his films. And so it, it has a otherworldly landscape to it and 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 its own atmosphere. So great to speak to him and i think um, you'll find from this interview that uh, there's a great deal of well i don't want to use the word stuff but you know wisdom we did
1: pack a lot of stuff in a short period of time we, we did
0: so let's uh, let's hear from william shaw it's a great thrill to have william shaw here on the hopcast book show welcome thank you so much for having me
5: on the Hobcast book show
0: (laughs) so we can now use that in a trailer an
1: unexpected (laughs) pleasure we hope
0: (laughs) yes well we ambushed uh, Cara Hunter yesterday and you're our victim today very happy to be ambushed thank you and uh, fascinating talk you've just given here at the Southworld Slaughter in Southworld she Should give it its full title at the Arts Centre never easy to do it solo so it's, it's clearly something you've done a bit before because it was wonderful
5: that's really kind. I do enjoy it, I have to say. It's quite... I mean, every writer, I think, has to have excuses to get away from their desk. Yeah. Uh, and so it's quite nice. I mean, it's the great... The whole literary festival sort of bandwagon is lovely because, hey, you get to meet other writers. I just met Rory Clements there, and we've sort of mm. waved at each other from the distance in the past. Never met him in the flesh. So it's lovely to have that social side to it. Yes. And, yeah, it's really good to get away from the desk. So it's quite nice. It's quite... And you can unload all these things that you're thinking about in the back of your brain as you just witnessed me doing.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I'm curious because You live in Brighton. So you don't, the seaside wasn't an attraction. I mean, South Ward is beautiful. Have you been for a paddle? No. (laughs) You don't need to.
1: (laughs) First thing I did was go for a paddle.
5: No, I haven't. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I spent a lot of time by the seaside. I would quite like a paddle. It's been a bit busy, actually, though. But, you know, I did get here in, I got here, my train was delayed, got in about half past ten. Magnificent thunderstorm. (gasps) Wasn't it? I was hiding.
1: So we stayed with our author, Linda Versha, in her house. I hid in the utility room because
5: I was so scared. <laughs> oh, blessed. But I just love big nature like that. And in a place like this, the mm. great thing about Suffolk and Norfolk is the sky is bigger. So a, yeah. a storm here
1: Oh, it was is, flash, flash, it's, flash,
5: wasn't it? It's HD. Mm. You know.
0: But you've, you set books in Dungeness, which is exactly that, that thing. Uh, mm. uh, I, I, I had a friend at university who, who was from there, from Romney Marshes and Dungeness, and used to wax lyrical. About this alien landscape that's on that tip of Kent, so you get the big skies there, don't you? And does that affect, or it, it, you know, impact the way you describe the area? Is that uh, you know, does it? Do you set the atmosphere with those skies?
5: I think I think we all part of us all want to live in a place like this, or Dungeness, So I think you know, putting people in that place. Is a lot of fun, and it's like, how do you k- get take people to Donegal? And a, it's all right if people have been there and you can describe it, but you have to kind of take people to a place which is the most extraordinary landscape, isn't it? It's like a, it's the biggest shingle spit in Europe. Yeah, you know, it's an amazing, huge place that terrifies some people, like they're terrified by thunderstorms. It's it's <laughs> sort of it, it's openness and exposedness is quite. Uh, I think a lot of people find quite scary of itself so it 's a perfect place to set crime fiction, but actually then you then have this wonderful community of people just living yes. in these little wooden huts around the place and yeah. getting on with it and they 're there because they 're different anyway, and they want to live somewhere different so it 's really nice to sort of play around with that idea because I think part of um, part of us re- some of us read books because we secretly all wanted to live in the place and haven 't but you can do it in a book like that so you have to yeah you have to put people there it 's quite easy in the actual way to put people in Dungeness because you can you can just use very, you know, it's, it, it's a landscape which has a few signifiers. You mentioned a lighthouse, you mentioned the sound of shingle, yeah. the reeds in autumn or whatever, mm. and the sound of, you know, you're walking close to the, the beach and you can hear the sea continually. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the other thing is, you mentioned wind. It's it's, it's, always, it's nearly <laughs> always windy and dungeness. It,
0: it is. And um, there's also, if I'm, um, I'm, as I say, I've not been, but those huge concrete Mm. Sort of ears. I mean, there was concrete part, well, ears. Well, it, it was a. Is it World War Two? It was a sort of radar installation. Sound of, mirrors. I sound sound mirrors. No, no. Yeah.
5: Um, yeah. I mean, it is. It's just always been this place that has been messed with in that kind of way. And obviously, you know, pointing out towards um, France in that kind of way, there was a lot of sea defences went up there, and they. Built in the nineteen thirties, they built the little light railways as a tourist attraction. It ended up being this thing used to transport sea defences. Their tourism was ruined instantly by them helping build Operation Pluto, the thing crossing the Channel. So you know, it's always been this place that's been disrupted in quite a nice, strange human way. And then, of course, they added a nuclear power station. Which, if you're setting a crime novel, and then you just need a handy metaphor, just on the beach, put in a nuclear power station, you're absolutely fine. Just one mention of it, and everybody's nervous because why would you put a nuclear power station? on a shingle spit that's continually moving.
0: Yeah, quite. I mean, it's not dissimilar to what's happening at Sizewell. I mean, absolutely. Um, You live in Brighton, so uh, was there any... uh, Have you ever written or decided to, to avoid writing about Brighton?
5: Peter B- James has send the boys round
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a bit of that isn't
5: there <laughs> no I mean he's lovely and he's a lovely man but he's kind of you know I think people take a place in their, in, in their landscape in their imagination you kind of think it would be wrong to try to write I, I'm not sure I'd have the, the, the wit to write something that would work around that work because it's a body of work that, that's really popular and really loved yes. Yeah. You know? um, and I was mo- I, you know, I'd been writing a book set in Lon- a series set in London and I wanted something more rural I actually wanted to write in the middle, middle of the, Staffordshire. <laughs> yeah, not, Trust me, you don't get much no, more rural. I don't no, think
1: I, there are any crime series in Staffordshire. Well, it's a, it's a wide open
5: them. space. It's a <laughs> wide open space, ready to be used. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 There's nowhere to go with this. It's, it's a tumbleweed
5: just going past now.
0: <laughs> no, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I have a story which is set in Brighton, based on my own journalistic experience. When in the 90s, there was this bizarre episode when a notorious paedophile moved into Brighton and he'd just been released from prison after nine years and all of the rest of the members of the Sydney Cook gang, as they were known, were banged up for 14, 15 years because it was a terribly brutal case and about seven or eight of them were, were banged up. And he was the first to be released. And the tabloids got very excited about this and started putting pictures in him on the front cover of The Sun. Have you seen this man? Where is he now? You know, this warning for parents. And he turned up, he'd been to Swindon, he'd been to Merseyside twice and eventually Merseyside cops just gave him enough money to get the train to Brighton. And that's where he turned up. And then he voluntarily went into police custody. And then we had this incredible uh, scenario where parents were joining almost with brandishing torches like the Lewis Fire Festival on, on November the fifth, you know, gathered round Brighton police demanding to know where he is and, you know, this sort of thing. So I've always wanted to write that, but I am in that position where kind of Peter James has, has, has queered the patch a bit.
5: On the other hand, I think you know a publisher who could, could probably help you out with this task of getting it
0: into print. Uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, you know, it's very difficult to submit to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> she's a... she's a, she's a... You get
1: past the gatepost.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, I mean, in all honesty, the the Hoback thing was, to, to, was a vehicle for, for my writing, which...
1: And he's still writing it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but then again, you know, I'm talking to a fellow panzer, which is great, because there are... There you know we've've we've we 've we've, uh, we've signed quite a few plotters, but i can 't do that and why, why is it that you you know is it the way your your brain works that I you think can't it do that? i
5: think it actually is i think I, I, i've become quite interested in this the last year it 's like we 've got brains that all work quite differently, and they tell ourselves stories quite differently i am um, was talking to an audience a while ago and I said, you know how when you walk past an empty hospital you just see all these stories in there and I could see that three-quarters of the audience were looking there looking really puzzled when I said that. (laughs) And and I really, oh God, not everybody does that. Blimey, that's interesting. We all do, you know, but I think that... Times with a lot of writers i know because the moment you see a slightly derelict building you are actually writing a story yeah. as you walk past it you know what happened in that kind of thing and if that's one of the that's one of the more obvious things but i think the way in which we construct our stories the way in which we read them and and have them revealed um is that maybe i'm not very interested in plot in stories i love it when there's a clever plot but it's not the thing that interests me no. and so it's not the thing i do in fact i can spend weeks You know, always I get to about three quarters of the way through the book and realise, oh, I've got to sort out my plot, and it's the most depressing (laughs) three weeks of my (laughs) life. Uh, And you know, if it's a good time, it ends with post-it notes. If it's not, it ends with like um, burning things and and, and screaming.
0: At this stage of your career, ten books, I think you mentioned, which you know is a great body of work, and uh, you're well established, and uh, you know, there's clearly an audience that you've established and, and, and a demand, but. Has your hand strengthened with your editors or with your publishers, or is that still is there still trepidation when you get your notes back
5: um there is still trepidation when I get my notes back actually, and I think there probably should be and I think actually that's an issue because I think there's there's um there's uh not enough it, it's not a very robust industry the, the publishing industry, and a lot of editors don't have enough time to do it and I think one of the real dangers that when you get really successful is that not enough time is spent on the editing yeah actually, and I think that's a real classic thing that you see really booked by really good writers who've either said I won't be edited or
0: they're they desperate to get it out they
5: they they mm. put them out there and I think that's an interesting thing because obviously editing is the best process in the world and should be embraced with every bit of love you've got because you know you get your notes back and you spend two days at the a minimum sulking and hating you and that's the most <laughs> horrible thing. How they just didn't understand me or I'm rubbish and just sober. And then then the penny finally drops and think, Oh actually they've got a point.
1: Now, oh yes. We oh. had this experience one of our authors and he did. He went away and he sort of licked his wounds for a bit. Yeah and his he wife really wounded his it. wife yeah. said to him, Come on, stop it
0: Pull <laughs> <laughs> yourself no, together man."
5: You don't have to agree with your editor, but what you have to say is they've spotted something that they see as an issue and the and, and editors will you know, quite often comes you could fix it by doing that. And, and, and very often I say that's the worst possible fix in the world, but actually what you suggest, what, what's, un, what's made you uneasy...
0: The wrinkle. ..is actually yeah.
5: a real problem and needs sorting out. Very rarely do I disagree with my editor about that, and, and, and I love the process, and um, I've just got a manuscript in at the moment, and I know it's going to need a lot of unwrinkling. And generally I like to hand in something that is a lot closer to the end, but I'm just actually really eager to hear mm. his input as is anybody who whose who's things I trust, write books. The illusion about books is they're written by us in an ivory town, and that's just a lie. Books are books are written by several people, and we are kind of the main... We obviously yes. do the bulk of the work, the bulk of the creativity. It's our book. We can say yes or no to stuff like that, but you're a fool if you don't write a social thing, which is a book, without not listening to other people's concerns. And they might be wrong, and very often they are. You know, I, I, I mentioned in their thing about when we... when. I'm in the writers' group with C.J. Sansom when he mm. handed us his first book. We all told him that it should have a prologue on the on the beginning, and I think that was the right decision. But actually, the editor said he was wrong. He hated doing it, and actually, in the end, it didn't have a prologue. But you know. You've got to have those things. You can say, you, you, you can throw them in your face, but it's really worth doing that. And it helps you build confidence in your world. And you have to go back at any point to thinking, what's the weird thing that made you want to write that particular book in the first place? What was the confidence I yes. had in this story at the beginning? Mm. And, and come, keep coming back to that because that's always right. And actually, it may be a different book from that thing, but that, that weird sort of little bell you have going off that makes you follow that sort of thing. If you can get back to that, you can answer any of those questions and say, does it do those things? And, and it's really indefinable to talk about what they are. But you had a conviction when you put those first few words on, on a yeah. on page. And actually, that that conviction is the thing you've got to try and be honest to. Maybe maybe actually that conviction was wrong and you need to change it. But at some point, there's the little bellwether that you just just have. Yeah, and, and and you can take everybody's comments as long as they respond to that as well.
0: Yeah, that core course. I'm interested because uh, I've experienced that those flashes, the bellwether moments, the the bit where you've got a story and you think there's you know you can see an ending, you can envisage it a little bit, and that, that's a great feeling. Does that mm. this, is that how it manifests for you? Yeah, or, completely. Yeah.
5: I, I don't know what I don't know what it is, but you know, like, I've just written a, a thriller and it was about this idea of an interpreter having power.
0: Wow, okay.
5: Uh, And an interpreter having no muscles but Mm. power. Uh, And so it's like, how do you make heroes for a modern world? Well, maybe an interpreter can be a modern world. In a world in which we seem to be disappearing Mm. into different nationalities again, interpreters are a new kind of hero, perhaps. And I knew that was the thing. And I went about 15 different plot iterations, completely different plots. But I had to keep coming back to that That one thing, Uh, is the interpreter has the power. And I I set it as an international... Um, conference on health I set it at you know and I was trying to find the scenario it, it, it would work and eventually quite late in the process after much sweat and and and, and tears, tears <laughs> no, 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 no. I hit upon how it was going to work but it was always coming back to that thing is like how do you make this this person a hero when they are a hero I mean we know instinctively those people who've learned uh, enough about other cultures are heroic in a kind of way But how mm. do you turn that into a thriller plot
1: Did you know there's a whiskey called Writer's Tears An Irish whiskey?
5: I've had more than one bottle of it <laughs> <you know. laughs> I
0: was going to say <laughs> What is it about the universal uh, love of, of a whiskey It seems to be in the, in, in the author industry Because I have this banter with Abiyah Mukherjee About uh, what I'm going to bring to Harrogate um, for his uh, for his delicate. he's quite good at
5: banter, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's I'm the kind king. of hoping I'm up against him with the, the CWA um, gold dagger. I really hope he wins because his speech will always be good.
0: It will be brilliant. Oh, are yeah. you
1: going to the dinner?
5: I am going. Oh, to Oh,
1: He's going. I can't go. Yeah, your... we have
0: a we have a we, an author in play for the very John good. Creasy. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So you know, this is a big deal for us uh, mm. so early on in our in our lives. But yes, the Abbey thing is, you know, I hope he wins because it will be an absolute. He'll bring the house down. Yeah, absolutely. And there'll be others who will just get up and say thank you very much and put it sit down. And
5: <laughs> That's me really. Is it? <laughs> but but I think I'd be a winner actually. Yeah. are we allowed to, to open a book on it with William Hill?
0: I'd Ooh. love to think so. Yeah. Well, now Which the is... cost has gone, we've got to hang on to some awards where yeah, they can, exactly. you can put some bets down. That's <laughs> you mentioned the thriller thing, and, and when we were discussing, you know, coming on the podcast uh, earlier, your concern that it's quite difficult to get thrillers into market at the moment. What what why is that? <laughs>
5: Well, I think there's a type of thriller that people will accept, and that's um, legal thrillers, because yes. they have a market in America, and conspiracy thrillers, because mm-hmm. they've been an American market as well. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on adventure thrillers, which were, you know, Neville Shoot being the sort of first sort of big
0: mm-hmm. international
5: sort of hit, Hammond, Innes, Alistair uh lots of lots of writers in that space. And for me, that was a good fantasy as a, as a young boy growing up, and they were quite male. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were about adventure and a type of heroism that was post-war heroism where you could, where the, where the hero could admit to being a bit of a coward, a bit afraid, so it was a different sort mm. of uh, heroism and it was really impressive to me as a teenager. I used mm. to read all sorts of things, but I just remember a particular love from that and I was being really impressed by how many women had gone and rethought what they read growing up uh, and we've got this big um, new homage to the golden age and to Christian to locked room sort of thing that's been growing along in parallel with psychological fiction that's really interesting and I was thinking, what... You know what did I love when I was growing up, mm. and I began thinking, saying, "Where's the modern form?" and I looked around and there wasn't one. Yeah, and it, at least it's pretty rare, you know, as a, as a kind of form. And I thought, well, I want to write one, so I wrote one in my spare time, so to speak. I find it, I run out of steam quite quickly during the day, and I actually was experimenting with writing two books in the day. So I run one in the morning. So my afternoon novel was writing the thriller which nobody wanted at the time. And then I handed it to my agent. My agent said, "Oh, this is quite good, actually." And my editor said, "I really like this." Um, yeah, we you know we all appreciate. The fact that this—it's hard publishing stuff into an area which nobody else is publishing. It's really hard for bookshop for publishers to get stuff onto the shelves. As well, you know. Well, yeah, very I much do. so. Very much so. <laughs> and if it's it's outside the direction, that hesitation from buyers, especially from the supermarkets, like that Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And so they said, "Well, let's let's, do let's, um, let's play with it." And uh, so I published Dead Rich, and you know, it's out a few weeks ago. So we're seeing yes. how that does.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, I've got that for my Kindle. <laughs> good man, good man. Yeah, just as yesterday. But
1: you can't sign that one. No, <laughs> no sadly.
0: I'll we... try. Indelible marker on the cover. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's an interesting, I mean, that, that period. I remember being at school in my prep school, to have a McLean books were in, you know, seven, eight and nine-year-old, in my, in my yeah. class library. They were sat there. Um and the books you know things like Jack Higgins,
5: oh, Jack Higgins, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, where
0: eagles dare and all that malarkey. But it's um, what
5: it's why I was thinking about you know like what is modern hero, what is modern heroism, and it's very different, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think it's that reflects on on gender, it reflects on what, what, what our values are. So trying to find that space of where, working with how modern heroes, what is a modern hero, and I think we've got a, we've got quite a positive notion of, of heroism, and you can you can play with it. Yeah, and and the it, interpreter as hero, you know, but mm. it's difficult isn't it because
0: you know a lot of those that era of books you know the, yeah you talk about they had some frailties but at the same time a lot of these characters were womanizing and all that yeah. sort of thing and that's just really hard to write nowadays yeah and it's, it's not ne- it's back. not
5: necessary because it that's that's different and there is a very male world and i think that's really inter- what you have to do is we have to find the inverse likewise a lot of the people are doing modern locked room stuff like traditional lock room stuff was a Britain that had kind of already died by the time they're writing about it It was quite a, a um you know would be a very white Britain, be very, you know, uh class defined Britain, mm. and one in which a certain amount of racism was very acceptable. Well obviously people writing modern locked room mysteries will not have that. You know, you yeah. have you know, how Car in, in um Ellie Griffith's book, mm. you have all these characters with uh, authentic Britishness. It's a very different one. So I think exactly the same way you you, you deal with um sex and relationships as from the actual world we're in. Mm. Yeah. And you can still, but you can still... It's, it's the engine of that kind of romance, and they're writing from the engine of that sort of enclosed world. I'm writing... Uh, the, the great thing about adventure thrillers, they're a big, wide world. Uh-huh. Um, uh, a lot of the, the the sort of psychological mystery is from a deliberately bounded world. Yes. And I kind of wanted to write something that wasn't for the deliberately. Yeah. It's almost the opposite, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I wanted to write the opposite, and I think that's... that's um, And I think hopefully nowadays we want to get out
0: don't we, we well, want to I get out so. yeah no I think so I think so um it's very interesting you, you, you were involved in launching a bookshop for six months um yeah, yeah. so you've got this perspective of being you know author and you've been at the cold phase in terms of what actually shifting books over a counter is like what's your read on the current state of play in the publishing market what what's your feeling about it because obviously lockdown was beneficial particularly for academic publishers uh, and they've you know, recorded great profits there. But things are starting to dip, according to the bookseller, in certain areas. So what's your feeling at the moment about how yeah, things I, are?
5: I think, you know, it's, it's always a mistake to get too over-optimistic about stuff in, in publishing because it's a very hard world. It always has been a hard world. You're trying to sell, exist off, off tiny, you know... You tiny margins. Tiny yeah. margins and, and, and putting out so many books in order to obviate your risk. You know, so it's just like... it. Is obviate a word I can use? Yes, That's so. a
0: really good word. That's a really good word. We have a high class of customer here on the Hobcast, so yes.
5: But um, <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm not sure it's even the right word. But anyway, it, it'll... Um,
0: Ameliorate. So, so I think
5: there yeah. is, there is a, it, there's, there's a dip. There's definite dip going on. But yeah. also, likewise, the sense of panic that goes on in a dip is... is
0: or, Always disproportionate. Always is disproportionate. Yeah. And
5: actually, the main thing is, is the in the last decade, books and bookshops have really proved their value in an extraordinary way. Mm. Um, what we really do need to do is to, to push back a bit against some of the, the, the margins, sort of stuff like that. And I know you're a publisher, but I think, you know, in the end of the day, writing has to be livable. One of the problems yeah. is that there's more talented writers than there are a need for books. Yes. And that's been a gatekeeper industry. Yeah. But at the moment, because... The cost of publishing, especially e-publishing, has come down. It's Mm. allowed the industry to force down some of the costs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's... I'm so lucky. I have such a good publisher and they've stuck with me and they will stick with me. And I was talking to Leslie Thompson. She's in a similar sort of age. You know, there has to be that stuff. My first book did not... You know, I was paid a lot of money to write my first book. It did not hit. But quirkers are very good at sticking with people yeah. Ellie Griffiths would not have been kept on by, by certain publishers now she's the number one yeah. because the publishers have had faith in it and allowed it to build yeah. there needs to be a lot more of that sort of faith because readers take a long time to discover writers if they don't you know mm. in the publishing industry it can feel like you've put out one book you spent a lot on it and it only sold 15,000 copies that can feel like a failure 15,000 copies is it's, great no, we'd be really <laughs> we, we that
0: we would be extremely happy with but, that <laughs>
5: but also that's only 15,000 people in an, in an island of almost 60 million people yeah where, where, you know. They're, they're, Oh, yeah. And to, to get the, the consciousness, and people buy readers, they be, uh, buy writers, they begin to trust, and you've yes. got to have that long term yeah. flow and let people yeah. establish themselves. So, uh, you know, I, you know, the publishing industry is its worst own worst enemy. Yeah. Uh, um, but on the other hand, it has been sustained by many sort of unexpected things, like the the real resilience in the book selling sector is just absolutely brilliant. Real heroes keeping bookshops going. Mm.
1: People and, who just love books.
5: Yeah, I mean, what they did, how quickly that, you know, the old-fashioned bookseller who wore tweed and uh, and uh, grumbled if you bought the wrong books has died out, thankfully, actually. Yes. Yeah. And now there's these people, and, you know, the speed with which bookshops changed shape during lockdown, and they all put content online which they've never had time to do before. Yeah. And, and they did that, you know, they responded in a way that makes... Uh, Britain's entrepreneurs look like dullards you know it's always thought to be a nice industry but actually they've worked really hard doing that and they changed shape they they went out okay so they went out delivering books on bicycles with wicker baskets on them but they were doing that they were moving into a space that was missing Uh, you know they've moved into it and they've become so resourceful so there's a lot of hope out there, I think, you know, for that. And I think, you know, writers as well have formed this extraordinary community within the last ten, fifteen years, yeah. and it allows for knowledge sharing in a horizontal way, which, in a yeah, horizontal way. And before we'd always been siloed by publishers very mm-hmm, much. Now mm-hmm. we've got this real power and and, and and to exchange knowledge, so we can become cleverer and actually begin to do some of the work that publishers can no longer do for us. Yes. Because we're we're joined up, um, because we're mates. Yeah. You know, and we actually, you know. One book sold by me does not mean a book not sold by me. More books that I sell, more books my mates will sell. Yes. You know, Absolutely. reading creates reading. Love of books creates love of books. You know, we're all in this together, mm. and it's not a competitive industry at all. Although, if Abia wins, I'll be gutted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. No exceptions, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: no, I understand that. Um, no, he deserves but, it. Um, no, you bring an interesting point, because, yes, e-books have driven down the value, especially when you're seeing... Because we tend to stay... You know, two ninety nine is our standard thing for an ebook, and I appreciate when I bought yours, it was seven ninety nine. So it was much closer to the paperback price will be, which it, well, Thank in, you in the, very much. No, but that's fine. I mean, but the thing is that that's devalued and in a lot of people's minds. They can pick up stuff for ninety nine p or even free. Yeah, you know, and that's the indie model to, to to a degree. But the fact is that in the recent months, and we've talked about this every week on the podcast <laughs> for, since January the cost of producing those books oh, has wronged right. the
1: paper costs and the printing and there's costs no
0: way you know you talked about the net book agreement and how much damage that did uh, when that changed this is back in the early 90s isn't it when that changed and the fact is that cover prices in the uk particularly are artificially low and they are unsustainable
5: get, get a publishing deal in in norway is what i tell everybody yeah um, Sorry, I think that cut out a bit. Get a publishing deal in Norway is what I tell everybody because, um, you know, you get paid... They, they think nothing of spending £40 on a hardback or the equivalent in... Yeah, in, in, same in Australia. New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> in New Zealand, yeah. Uh, it, it is really extraordinary how... how the, you know, it's the coffee, cup of coffee thing, isn't it? You can spend pen £2.50, £3, £4 on a cup of coffee and then you grumble about an ebook book going for two ninety nine. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, hell, that's <laughs> eight hours of your... Time, yeah. at yeah, least yeah. a pleasure if you love the book, you know. And uh, yeah, it's nuts and it's really hard. The one thing I'll say that's that's, that's fought that was um audiobooks. Where if, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a real proof that you establish a new market and people have um really adapted to expecting audiobooks to be at a certain cost. Absolutely. They pay quite a lot for them. And that's not a psychological problem. But we we let the market go too low in this yeah. country. We really did, and yeah. it's just like it's been really hard to maintain a lot of the bookshops on those margins and I think that's that's a real issue. Um, and that cost has to be reflected. And it's like, who's going to jump first and actually yes. put up, you know, I mean, a paperback should be selling for £10 now. and it's At least. You, know, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our standard price is nine ninety nine, but our margin on that is tiny now. Yeah. And it's just, it has shrunk. And because we're not doing big, big print runs, we go to Clay's and asking for a 200 print run, you know, we're, we're probably delivering that book.
5: And that's uh, going to carry on. I mean, the pressures on it with the inflation are going each. to be horrendous because there will be lower household budgets. So just hope that, you know, we carry on it. I'm remembering that it's a lot easier to stay in and read a book. Or go out and talk about it with friends than most other forms of entertainment. You know, compare it to a cinema ticket, you know.
0: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And And that's over in a few hours, isn't it? Well, the book. Absolutely. (laughs) And And it it plays
5: in your head forever. Yeah, (laughs) it
0: does. It does. I think we're, you know, you're baking in the sun. We've got fish and chips waiting for us. We ought to get to Rebecca's random question, so I'm just going to do the voice. Rebecca's random question.
1: I was going to ask you what your favourite flavour of ice cream is, but I'm not going to ask you that now. Oh. Because I thought of a question while you were doing your talk about dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, if you could choose your perfect death for yourself, what would it be? Oh, that's a
0: good one.
5: Ah, well, you know, um, yeah. Obviously something headline-grabbing, because I need to <laughs> to sell some books. Um, so what would that be? Or oh, something painless, but headline-grabbing. What can that be?
0: Um, well, I've got a suggestion for you. So you enter the uh, Eastbourne birdman competition
5: oh, or right.
0: Bogner, because right. i used to cover both no and, wings and you well i mean you know people break their necks doing it right so that would be quick but it would be glorious
5: yeah i'm scared uh, of heights
0: ah yeah that's that's problem i don't I'm like in the water either but
5: that, <laughs> just struck by lightning maybe struck by lightning because i love a good thunderstorm yeah uh, that would go. be a good
1: way to go and you'd glow uh, in the I process would.
5: <laughs> i would that would be really good when i was a uh, uh, Nineteen, I uh, eighteen. I moved into a house in the middle of nowhere, really in the middle of nowhere, and I did, decided to rewire the house. Oops! And it got a bit dark, and I was—I got out sequence with what I was turning off or not, and I did cut through the mains cable with a pair of pliers. Luckily, and you're still here to tell us a l- tale. They blew the head off the, the pliers.
0: But, <laughs> yeah, I you know. nailed through mains wires. Yeah, yeah <laughs> So I know what you mean. Yeah, fact, <laughs> I was commentating on a football match and uh, I, I touched my knee against a live nail. I can't I you're
1: still here, both and, of you. I, and
0: I flew off this chair. So I'm in the middle of what? This is in Africa, and I was in Lagos covering a Nigeria versus Senegal match and I am trying to commentate and my co-commentator is going Ejen has been uh, he's been uh, electrocuted he's, uh, his hair is standing on end and I think he's alive <laughs> he had to cover for about two minutes before I could recover myself what did myself. it feel like though? oh it was horrible horrible um, how do I describe it? A like being punched all over your body is how I would describe that feeling.
1: See, that doesn't sound like a good way to die. Actually, you know, it's just painful. like you know,
0: it, it, yeah, <laughs> it was like being yeah, getting a really good left hook, but in most of your organs and most and and, and your head, and just like bang.
5: I'm committed to it now, though. I've said it on on, on a podcast, so yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I can't can I can't go it. backwards now. Well, what would the headline say? Shocking.
0: <laughs> Shocking death. death. <laughs> well, I mean, we used to have a thing. I worked at um, a radio station in Swindon called GWR, as it was.
1: Isn't that a railway? No? Yeah,
0: well, that's what they call Great Western Radio. No. Oh. Yeah, they, were, they became a very big company. Um, but they had a, a style guide, which I've, I've nicked and kept. And it was, uh, so there was a, a, I think I've done this before on the podcast, but a graduation of deaths. And so you would, um, anyone killed in a fatal accident, car accident it would be a um, a a death smash Um, and then it would escalate if it was if the fire brigade went to it it was a fireball horror death smash and then if a kid or a uh, if a kid was killed in it it was a tragic fireball horror death smash and then if it was an animal that caused it by running in the road, it was a fireball horror death smash that needn't have happened. <laughs> and that, that, that's how we had to describe everything. We had our, our shorthand. And you, as a former journalist, will know what, you know, having worked on smash hits, I can't wait to read when you write a thriller about that era, uh, you know, coming face-to-face with a very pissed-off, very tired boy George or whoever it might have been. pet shop boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Howard Jones, the murderer. I can see that, though. I mean, I think to be honest, Nick Kershaw nowadays looks like he's he's been you know in Alcatraz with the shaven head thing. Uh, but first, first cover
5: feature I ever wrote for Smash. It's Nick Kershaw, actually. Really? Yeah. Was he a nice guy? I mean, yeah, he was lovely. He yeah, was lovely. Yeah. Uh, you know, not in the, necessarily in the right place. He wasn't a natural pop star.
0: No, nor was Howard Jones. But a lot by of, any them means. of that era
1: weren't natural pop no. stars, were they? Kim yeah. Wilde?
5: No.
0: No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, offline we'll have to ask you who's the most difficult and <laughs> truculent you ever dealt with. That's, uh, but we won't uh, poison the, the podcast with that. William, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thank you. What pleasure.
0: Now, that was a zinger of a random question.
1: Well, the thing is, you see, when we were sat, um, listening to William Shaw, my, my question was going to be what we discussed last night over dinner was ice cream flavours. But listening to him, I thought, that's not enough. I can't ask him about ice No, it's cream. not deep enough
0: for a man of his stature. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
1: and I thought, he can take a question about death as well. Oh, he He's definitely a man it, yeah. who can take that. So I changed it.
0: You did. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a great answer. It so, zinger. It was a... It was zinger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just the term that you've, we've come up with for, for, for describing... Well, tennis. actually, sometimes you, when you hit a tennis ball, because we are boring you, I know, on the podcast about <laughs> tennis progress. We haven't played much this week. you we haven't had much time to... Uh, we're desperate to get on the court next week. But I've got a funeral to go to. Uh, t- uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. I know. know don't to, forget. For, for, for a former <laughs> colleague. So that's another day out of the out of the system. Yes. And, but the,
1: uh, p- the point is that what I call your returns, sometimes you return to me what I call a, a zinger, a Hobart zinger.
0: Yeah. But sometimes uh, this I. This is tennis we're talking about, yes?
1: Yes, tennis. <laughs> Good. And sometimes I think, well, I'm going to give you a zinger back.
0: You do. And sometimes, yeah, there's a glint in your eyes. You unleash a. Really <laughs> properly properly played forehand into the corner. Uh, it just makes me wonder you why swivel. you can't do it more of Yeah, what? <laughs> you swivel? I swivel. In what? Co- oh, I see. I'm sorry. Usually, that means swivel is quite rude.
1: No. Anyway, yes.
0: Oh, we've gone down a rabbit hole. Do we know who we're speaking to next week?
1: We are. Um uh, we, we've got Mary Mary, Mary Kendall, Kendall on next week.
0: Mary Kendall, uh, American author, uh, who is just about to release her second book
1: in November. So yeah. not, not too long. But... Yeah,
0: I mean, book publishing terms, that's around the corner, <laughs> isn't
1: it? <laughs> um,
0: you know, not all of us can. Um, you know, we we release books quite quickly, but that's a that's a, a lovely little interview, and uh, she's a historian, and um, you know, heard. Ancient history, sort of eighteen fifteen or something. which um, always makes me laugh when you talk to Americans. But it's, I mean, we we want to hold hands across the water as often as possible.
1: Yeah, it's nice to, you know, to, to be talking podcasting. across a very big pond.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So that's and a good one. Uh, one of the th- most significant things that happened this week was a certain email arrived, didn't it?
1: Um, am I supposed to know what you're talking about?
0: Well, we're sitting with the person who sent it.
1: Oh, you mean with an attachment?
0: Yes.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's with bated breath that you await our our response, Lynn.
2: I do indeed. Yes, book three uh, is now at the end of its draft that can be sent to you. Working title is? Blood Entitlement.
0: Blood Entitlement.
1: So I'm now 20% in. I started reading it straight away Mm. and and I've got to 20% and I'm not going to say too much, but let's just say... I can't wait to get in the car <laughs> to pick up where <laughs> I got to.
2: Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yes, it's Steph and Derek and Hale again. Um, but this time, another family on the edge of Southwold in a rather posh Tudor mansion. And it's, uh, you know, how they, they set up the perfect life. There's no shortage of those around here,
0: I noticed, no, even when aren't. we were driving to no. the pub nope. last night. And, and by the way, can I uh, use the podcast to advertise the wares of the angel in... With- Rentham. Rentham. What a place.
1: Now, the meal we had is what I would call a lick the plate clean meal. Yep.
0: Yeah, and she pretty much did. I mean, Bertie does that. I would that. have
1: done if he, I wasn't in polite company. Bertie does
0: that as a service before it goes in the dishwasher. <laughs> he plate clean. Uh, he's very adept at that. But, uh, yeah, you nearly did. I mean, you, I, I, I had to stop myself from running the finger Oh, I did that.
1: Him. That's not too bad, is it?
0: Well, I don't know. We is that like, bad for We were in a quiet corner. But...
1: <laughs> we were late. We
0: were late. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Thank oh, you I so much for that. that and, and then for your hospitality <laughs> this weekend. We always come back. Well, I I feel tired because, you know, being on stage, I find, you know, you it 's a lot of creative energy to try and read that room and get it right, and I think we did mm. this morning. I think we got them laughing on the Sunday oh, they mornings. laughed no.
2: at all our jokes, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah they did, and they
0: were lovely people they were they were, so you 've got a whole army of yeah. new fans you know uh, which is terrific um but you know i've got 'm now facing as we wind up this uh, edition of the wonderful Hopcast book Show with the prospect of four or five hours at the wheel getting us back to Staffordshire. Yes, oh.
1: and so I'm going to uh, read a bit more of Lynn's book. I'm also going to finish proofreading Rob Gittins' book. <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I,
1: I don't get travel sick at all, so I can work. It's great.
0: Um, I've overcome... Uh, we well, ought to just update, you know, because we always talk about the Watson all thing about being a Hobart, uh, being Hobbit books and publishing. Uh, well, my principal computer died last week, didn't it? So the screen packed up. And
1: it was a drama.
0: It was a forty-eight hour drama. It turns out, yeah, the the the, the main graphics card, the, the the cheap one that comes with the computer, packed up. But I do have a flash one that which is in there anyway. But uh, I now have to migrate to my new computer. But it was a pain. Mm. It really was. I was in jeopardy of losing quite a lot of important work. So you know, message to everybody: back up your files a lot earlier than I have managed to. Mm. Um, so that's going to uh, now that's out of the way. Concentrate on some other projects, particularly around audio this week. I think.
1: Oh, are we going to do our little uh, uh, audio of uh, a new one of the Hobbit books that we were going to do together?
0: Potentially, yeah.
1: Because I'm dying to do that.
0: Mm. Or At least have a go. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that. So, thank you so much for joining us here on episode seventy-six of the Hobart wow. Book Show. We have featured. Lynn, Lynn LaVersha has been with us and hosting us here, of course. A big thanks to our other guests, Cara Hunter and William Shaw. It's been brilliant. And to all the organisers, including Charlotte, who is the, the queen bee of this amazing, mm. you know, weeny little festival, but perfectly formed. Wonderful atmosphere, great venue. And a great selection of authors turned up too. So yeah. to them, we thank them very much for hosting us as Hoback and indeed giving uh, Lynn an opportunity to bring the books, uh, blood notes and bloodlines to a new audience. It's been great. And we returned from Suffolk. Uh, well, you know what state I'll be in by the time I do. And I've got to drive down to Watford for this funeral the next day. But um, I won't mind about too much. Um, but. It's been a really good weekend. And so we urge you to, of course, go to our website, www.hobeck.net, to see more about all the things we do. And subscribe there, because one of the jobs you do have tonight is to write the newsletter.
1: Oh, I'll do that in the car on the exactly, way home.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> and and uh, judging by the opening rate of that, it's a popular feature.
1: I know. I, c- I can't believe it. It's about seventy percent opening rate. Yeah, though. when
0: you think about that, that's about five yeah, thousand people might, they might, it.
1: They get excited. They get an email and they go, "Oh, oh, it's them!" But they've opened it.
0: No, people love it. People <laughs> um, love it.
1: Love it.
2: Love
0: it's it. It's so folksy, yeah, uh, yeah. as my sister would say. So, thank you for joining us. Uh, next week, we talk to Mary Kendall, and uh, between now and then. Well, it's the usual thing, isn't it? Have a wonderful and...
1: Creative week. You said it.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobec Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobec.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.